Hello and welcome to another episode of Her Moment in History. I'm Michelle. And I'm Grace. And you're going first this week. <laughs> I am, because although I can't remember who went first last week, I wanted to go first because I've got uh, quite a bit of information about the history of women in theatre. Which is the theme for this week. Which is a theme for this week, <laughs> which you didn't mention. The theme is theatre. And so I was looking at, because I don't, so I don't actually know a great deal about the theatre. No, I just know that the Greeks had something to do with it and they wore their the, masks. Yeah. That's about the it. The Greeks created it, which is the first line. So theatre began in Greece more than two millennia ago. Which that is the was first right. line yes. of my information. <laughs> yes. And so, despite the fact that obviously, as a huge part of Greek mythology, you have goddesses mm-hmm. and heroines. Yes. Women characters were on the stage, but women couldn't play them. Ugh, Shakespearean. Yeah, right? It's <laughs> a weird concept to me. The reasoning was that because it was too dangerous for women to do it. I mean, it's only dangerous if they're on them them theatres are on like the rock edges of like a big cliff <laughs> yeah there's like lions involved but, well, there's lions um, involved but I just feel like generally I don't understand yeah I mean I don't understand a lot of to be fair the history of things that we talk about on this podcast it just it baffles me that people create yeah. these rules but there was in the 10th century there was a nun who was called and I'm going to butcher this name Horosifipa is she rolls German? Off the tongue. I actually don't know. I it didn't look that up. German or Icelandic? It, yeah, and it's spelt kind of weird. It it just seems to me very tenth century ish. Yeah. Um, uh, and she was probably actually the first female playwright in history. Whoa! Because she writes comedies. I crossed, I crossed it in my research this week. Like yeah, I just saw and the I, name. I'm like, ooh. No, I'm going to get you one <laughs> Yeah. Well, because I, I contemplated it and I was like, no, because the last time I tried to do, when I did um, the artist with the getting so kind of confused with dates and times and there's so little there. Yeah. So I was like, no, no, I'm just going to do someone upstate who I do have research on. So then in the 16th century, the opera opened mm-hmm. up and kind of became uh, famous and women were allowed to participate in the opera to begin with because they couldn't sing that high unless because, they were yeah well there was castratos do you know about castratos <laughs> i was literally about to go on to that yes because they kind of came up with the castratos around the same time to try and then push women out again Ugh. Yeah. even though it was like mutilating men but of course because surely it is better to have a mutilated man than a woman i know right crazy it's ridiculous but even whilst women were on the stage obviously they weren't they were still receiving kind of criticism for it Mm -hmm. um so then obviously when they kind of the castrato came around the women were then pushed out of the stage again so then during shakespearean england you know, Shakespeare wrote a lot of female characters who mm-hmm. were very kind of well-written female characters kind of yeah. for the time. But once again, women were not allowed to play these roles. No. Which was just so nice of them. It just, it also baffles me because this was during like the Elizabethan period. Where they literally so, like, had a queen. A, a queen. And yet who they were never like, married either. 
but it was just ridiculous to have a woman on a stage. So you know, uh, I really like the theory that Queen Elizabeth is gay. I I've never actually heard that theory. Maybe I've just made it up. That's why I like oh, it. Oh, I like that. No, no, I like it. Yeah, go I it. mean, it makes sense because she didn't marry anyone. No, I always like the theory that basically she didn't like she didn't marry anybody, but she just slept with everybody. Oh, I like that one too. Which yeah, I quite like that one. Was it? Uh, I'm gonna get this completely wrong and embarrass myself. Was it Walter Scott? Maybe I have no um, idea. Who she had a fling with? So. Around then the 1620s, it mm-hmm. became more common for women to perform on stage, but once again, as soon as they were on stage, they were met with harassment and insults during their performances. And this wasn't like on the major stages, these were kind of just smaller ones. But then in 1660, the Restoration then gave women the permission from the king to then perform on in major productions on major stages. Oh wow, I didn't know that. I thought it was a lot more recent than that, actually. 1660 mm. is still a long time ago, so well done. Mm. So during the 17th century then, uh, a lot of women playwrights also kind of started mm. writing and becoming um, known. They, this was like the first time that women were able to write plays about the female experience mm-hmm. and it being shown on stage for other people to go enjoy them. And then during the 20th century well, 19th and 20th century, women came, became a lot more prominent on the stage uh, with the light of, like, Broadway and things mm-hmm. kind of gave the light. And actually, around this time, most theatre-goers were women. I saw that statistic. It was, like, 65% of I didn't women. see the statistic, but, like, I love the shift, if you know what I mean. That <laughs> yeah. They were just like, no, no, it's too dangerous for you to participate in this, this recreation. Mm. And now it's actually flipped the other side, which is... Kind of nice. But Mm. it was also, like, one of the main reasons for this, that so many women wanted to do it, was because it was, like, one of the only ways at the time that women were able to kind of have their own economic power and independence. Yeah. Which... Oh, my God. I know. (laughs) It's sad, but nice that there were some opportunities. Yeah. And it's, like, a creative outlet as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of very quickly rounds off the history of women yeah. in theatre that I have mm-hmm. to which I shall now introduce you to uh, my person this week who is called Eliza Winstanley Ooh, I have never heard of them you haven't? fantastic um, so she was born in Lancashire in 1818 oh, oh early yeah early because when we were trying to work out if we had the same person you were like Oh, were they around after the Second World War? I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> um, so, born on December 2nd to parents William and Elizabeth, and she had five brothers and sisters. Were they all called William and Elizabeth? Yeah, every single of the kids was also called William and Elizabeth. That's how it works in Denmark. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, didn't they have... Is it true that they have the rule there where it's like you call your first kid that name and then the second kid is literally called not and then that name so it's like i am called grace but then my sister would be my younger sister would be called not grace and that was what her name would be i'm not sure if that's denmark but it might be somewhere in scandinavia no but the the king and queen the the royal family their male sons have to be called i think it's either frederick or christian and so if this is three of them it'll be like frederick christian 
Christian Frederick. Henry Richard John. Oh, <laughs> that's a really weird. I don't get. Yeah, so all of their kings, if you go back, are like Christian Frederick, Christian Frederick. But that kind of, I don't know, it gets confusing when you're like, you try and look at the French rule and you're just like, okay, so this is King Louis, which one is it? And everyone's like, I don't know, it's like, what, 1 to 17. You say the mad one or not? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and with the Georges as well, we've only had, Mm. how many Georges? Is it six, seven Georges? no idea. And yet I still get confused by all of them. Hmm. Just come up with new names. Yeah, I mean, oh, that's what the the queen did, kind of. Yeah, with Windsor. Mhm. She named it after the castle. Mhm. <laughs> so then, in 1833, the whole family emigrated to Australia. Oh, were they criminals? They weren't. I thought they were oh. when I first read it, but they weren't. The actual reason they went to, to Australia was because they were going to move to America and then got to the port and there were no ships to America. So they were like, oh, <laughs> well, we'll just get on that one then that goes to Sydney. And then they went to Sydney and lived there instead. Amazing. Is Which, it, yeah. I wish it was that easy today. Oh, same. Can you imagine just being like, oh, where shall I go live? I don't know. I'll, I'll find out when I get to the airport. They should. Um, So they rented a cottage uh, in Australia and William found employment as an artist at the Barnett Leverley Theatre Royal uh, in George Street in Sydney, which I was meant to look up as to where that about was because I have been to Sydney and I feel like I have been to George Street, but I cannot Mm -hmm. remember. So I was meant to look it up, but I didn't. (laughs) Um, And then in 13... Uh, 13? In 1834, when um, mm-hmm. Eliza was 16 and her sister Anne was 9, they made their acting debut. Whoa! So, nice. they were... Their, Eliza's first role was as Clary in The Maid of Milan, which is now kind of not known, but then I think was quite a famous kind okay, of play. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it had a very famous song in it, which was called Home Sweet Home, which she sang and got numerous positive reviews for Ooh. for this role and for this kind of uh, single song itself. Wait, was she 9 or 13? 16. 16, okay. I was close. Yeah. <laughs> her, her sister was 9, who kind of did it all with her. Uh, but her sister kind of gets... At some point, she just kind of isn't in the information anymore. So I wonder if her, like, her sister either went into her own thing or Eliza just kind of got more famous and Anne didn't. Oh, well, that's quite sad. I know. Um, so, early on, she enjoy, uh, endured attacks from the crowds. So, there was like a specific mob called the Cabbage Tree. Only in Australia. It, right? I read that and it was like, <laughs> the Cabbage Tree mob, that can't be a thing. No, yeah, it was. And the reason they're called that is even stranger. It's because their hats were made from cabbage tree palms. I don't think that's a sustainable hat material, but okay. But maybe they look fashionable, I don't know. But it's not <laughs> nice. So this uh, mob were kind of fans of another actress at the time, oh, I forgot to look up the name of, who was Australian-born, mm-hmm. which Eliza was obviously not. So they didn't like Eliza because she was gaining Australian kind of stardom, mm. despite the fact she wasn't a native Australian. So they would hiss whenever Eliza came on stage. Like a cat. Like a cat, yeah. Not (laughs) as nice as a cat. 
And then in 1841, Eliza married uh, Henry Charles O... Oh, God, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his surname. O'Flaherty? Or O'Flaherty? Something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who was a musician in the orchestra at the theatre. So I think that's how he met. And she... He then went on to manage the Olympic Theatre in Sydney, where she then went and worked, and she was asked to play Richard III in the Shakespeare play. And she's the first woman to play that role. That's impressive. Yeah. um, I think I've seen that play. The Shakespeare... uh, uh, Richard Richard III. III. Yeah, Yeah, I saw it with... um, Oh, it's Ralph Fiennes was Richard III. Oh, wow. It was yeah, one of them ones where they show it in the cinema. Whoa. Was it good? Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> but it said here that like that kind of role is one that is a really big test of skill and that mm. it's one of the hardest roles to master in Shakespeare and that a lot of men have come forward and tried to, you know, tried to do it and a lot have failed mm. to kind of master it. And apparently she did it very, very well. But it still caused a great deal of scandal because obviously at the time it was still very shocking for women to play men's roles. And the Even though the other way around was fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, that was all the time that men would play women. It's double standards. 100%. So there was one review which said that she played the role unsexly and indelicately. I don't think it's a a sexy or delicate part that should be played, but okay. I don't see why you'd go watch Richard III and be like, you know what, this is going to be the sexiest play I'm going (laughs) to see this year. It might also be worth noting that the critic who wrote that review never actually went to the performance. Well, he's stupid. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And actually, that is one of the few reviews that is actually available which kind of implies that critics actually boycotted the performance because she was playing the title role. I mean, you're just a bad critic if you do that. Like, any credit you ever had goes out the window. You have to go watch things you're not necessarily going to enjoy. Yeah, with an open mind. With, yeah. Uh, But it didn't stop her. Which is good. Good. So in 1846, so she carried on theatres, and then in 1846 she ended up moving to England, where mm-hmm. she would perform privately for Queen Victoria on numerous occasions. Whoa. I know. fancy. Right. She also toured around the US, which made her the first Australian actor to have an international career. Whoa. Uh, and all of her, though she never kind of played any male roles again, all of her roles were, and this is in quotes, Playing the unattractive widows, the cheerful landladies, and heavy ladies. Yeah. Which were kind of all stock characters in the theatre at that time. Which is annoying, to say the least. But then, when her husband passed away, she then went looking for kind of something that would keep her in one place for a bit. Mm. So, she actually signed to a the Charles Keane London Company in Mm -hmm. 1850. Um, And she started writing as well. So by then, 1864, she stopped acting completely and then was just writing. Whoa, that's cool. I know. 
right? And all of her novels were set on and around the stage with insider mm. knowledge of acting and how uh, theatres kind of work behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And then in, eight, uh, in 1880, she ended up going back to Sydney, most likely to kind of be close to her family again, mm-hmm. where she then took her husband's surname. So the whole time she'd been married to him in acting, she still was going by uh, her maiden name, Win Stanley. But then oh, wow. after she came back to Sydney, she stopped acting and she took the name O'Flaherty, if that's how you pronounce it. Oh, wow. And she became the manager of a dye works company. Oh. So it's very, very likely that the people she employed had no idea who she actually was. <laughs> because Eliza Wynne Stanley was quite famous, but their employer, who was called Eliza O'Flaherty was not so it's it's quite interesting then she lived there until uh, 1882 when she passed away of in quotes diabetes and exhaustion yeah and that was a very quick story (laughs) and very brief story of uh, Eliza Wynne Stanley the first woman Mm. to play Richard III impressive I would say yeah I would too Mm. she was interesting thank you very much <laughs> are we wanting to go for a break yes yes although i did just think what like mid you when you were talking that we should rename the podcast but it didn't stop her because <laughs> we say Ooh, that would be good like so much <laughs> yeah which is good because yeah. it, you know Nevertheless, she persisted, but uh, there shouldn't be cause for her nope. to stop anyway. <laughs> no. No. But we shall be back <laughs> in a second. Yes. Hey, Christy, what do we talk about on our podcast? Well, Ashley, we talk about all kinds of weird stuff. Like aliens. And ghosts. And cults. And cryptids. And witches. And murders. Yeah, even sometimes murders. Basically, we talk about all kinds of weird shit. Oh, I already said that. Oh. So yeah, if you like weird topics, feminist rants, and the occasional F-bomb, you should listen to us. We post new episodes every other Monday. Find us online at thatsweird.org. And subscribe to That's Weird on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to part two. Who is your person this week? My person is Tisa Chang. Oh, okay. I've never heard of her. I hadn't until earlier. Okay. (laughs) But she is a Chinese-American actress. And she is a a theatre director as well. And she was born on April 5th, 1941 in Chongqing in China. Or what? It was Mm -hmm. the Republic of China, but that's all the whole thing that I want to get into. Okay. (laughs) So... At the the age of six, she she and the family moved to New York City. Um, her father was a Taiwanese diplomat, um, and he was like a consul general to China. But then he moved back to China in nineteen fifty seven, but she chose to stay with her siblings in New York. Ooh, okay. Um, and she became interested in theater at a young age. Mm-hmm. And her mum used to take her to operas and plays. And she, she did her own rendition of Cinderella to her nanny in a family kitchen when she was 10 years old. 
Aww. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. And her father was also interested in acting as well. So when he mm. was in school and university, he did some plays with, I'm going to pronounce this very wrong, Zhao Enlai, who he then became the leader of China. This person Wait. he did plays with, not the father. What? Yeah, still. I know. <laughs> Six degrees of separation. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. But it's yeah. got nothing to do with her. Okay, fair enough. I, I mean, I find it interesting, so well done. <laughs> uh, so after she finished college, uh, she she started doing musicals and she was dance- dancing in them. Then she started acting on Broadway, uh, doing plays and musicals. She did some called Lovely Ladies, Kind Gentlemen, and then one called The Basic Training of Pavlo Hummel, which had Al Pacino in it. What? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then another one called Pacific Overtures, which was she met her husband in that film. But I'm just not going to talk about him at all. Cool. So it's not really relevant. Cool. But she also was in TV and film as well, which I have not heard of them. These films, they're called Ambush Bay. From 1966, okay. Greetings from 68, and there's a TV film called Escape from Iran, which she she could use her, her dad's diplomatic history to get, like, diplomatic role of the husband in it or something like that. Okay. <laughs> yep. So, after acting for a few years, she then started to direct... And she, so she said that she changed over because as a director, she had more autonomy in choosing yeah. the product projects. And she felt she was contributing to American theatre with stories drawn from China's vast literary history. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And she also said with directing, she can help shape what the audience experiences and walks away with. So... She began her directing career in 1973 at the La Mama Experimental Theatre Club where she was she was working as an actress and dancer there under Ellen Stewart who I don't know much about her but I was just reading briefly about her and she seems like a very fascinating character in, <laughs> in, in theatre too. She was a, a African-American woman who created a theatre group which I think she took minorities and oh, created nice. roles for them. Brilliant. So Tisa Chang she just went up and asked Ellen Stewart if she could direct one of her own plays and so she was like sure off you go. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> yep and so she she directed some and she also did some where she direct and produced bilingual versions of either classical Asian plays or Western plays. So she did A Midsummer Night's Dream in both Mandarin and English. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And she did another one called Servant of Two Masters in which all the monologues and solilo- soliloquies were t- spoken in the native language of the character. Amazing. I know. And then she went on to 
established the Pan-Asian Repertory Theatre. Okay. In 1977, which mm-hmm. I think she used the money from the play she did with Al Pacino to fund this. I'm sure Al Pacino <laughs> is so proud. I know. <laughs> and so she made this for the intention of popularising Asian American theatre. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to create a place for opportunities for Asian American actors to be seen in a context of like who they actually are rather than just like typecast or stereotyped yeah. i mean to be fair i feel like we're kind of getting to that point even like just now with film if you know what i mean yeah because you you have films obviously like crazy rich asians came out was it last year mm-hmm. and things like that and even that was quite revolutionary in kind of the film industry to have an all asian cast yeah so amazing that she was doing it when 19 was it 70s yeah 1970s Mm -hmm. i mean there's still like a long way to go but you have to start somewhere and yeah that's what she's she did Mm -hmm. um because so she was in new york doing this and there was all already a asian american theater company in los angeles called the east west players which was founded in like 1965 Mm-hmm. So she kind of got some of her ideas from that. And they both kind of just oh. wanted to create more opportunities for... How nice that it didn't, like, from the sounds of it, they weren't like, okay, I have to be the one doing this. They were both just like, to be fair, it helps with this too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when she started this, this, this theatre business, a lot of people just thought yeah it's not really gonna work is it because uh, you know she's a woman she's asian who would be interested but I then <laughs> i just distress i know but then because of that she said that because they like became a curiosity and they were quite unique in what they are people ended up going just for that sake I mean, I'm not sure if that's the best That's reason. what she said. Oh, well, okay. She's probably, like, self-deprecating, but... Oh, but, I mean, at least people were going. And I'm sure that, like, a large percentage of those people were going because they were interested in what they were doing, not just because yeah. they were like, oh, this is a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in 1981, TV Times wrote that Pan-Asian was the most respected experimental theatre company in New York City. Whoa. And as of 2009, it was the world's largest producer of Asian American theatre. Well, is it still going now? Yeah, she's still alive. She's still going. Amazing. I know. <laughs> oh, wow. Because mm-hmm. I, was, I was like, oh, these years are getting them very, very close. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You're like, 2009, I was like, hold on. <laughs> Whoa, that's brilliant. Yeah. It's made a lot of progress in Asian American actors to American theatres and I think Daniel Day Kim uh, was who he first worked in Pan-Asian and he was if people don't know he was in Lost in the new Hawaii Five-0 who's um yeah whoa yeah and he wrote to the, the New York Times he's like there's a lot a way to go, but like what she did was pretty 
good starting place. Yeah, 100%. Mm. She also did some of her own plays and musicals for the group as well. And then she directed the world premiere of Shanghai Lils at the Pan-Asian Repertory Theatre in 1997. Mm-hmm. And she... I think she's, she did a new production in, like, 2011 as well. And she was awarded the Theatre World Special Award for the establishment of Pan-Asian and her di- directorial work as well. And she won lots of awards, too. Good. From, like, the Organisation of Chinese Americans, she, professional theatre women, loads of them. At the New York City Ooh. Council. <laughs> That's um, incredible. I know. And she's she's currently on the executive board of Stage Directors and Choreographers Society. Which, you know, good for I, her. Is that a... I mean, I've never heard of that before. Me neither. But, like, that's but something... I assume it's quite prestigious, yeah. It sounds it. So, probably is. <laughs> And then she was an honoree at the East West Players Annual Awards, which is the Los Angeles version of hers. And she received a Visionary Award there, which was to celebrate the individuals who've raised the visibility of Asian Pacific American community through their craft. That's so nice. And then in an interview afterwards, she was, she said that she'd she'd love for the East West players and Pan Asian to collaborate and grow together. Yeah, but I want that. I mean, me too. But that yeah. <laughs> that hasn't happened, of yet. yet. Yeah. Well, you know, there's still time. She's still alive. It's fine. <laughs> and she is still active as an artistic director of Pan Asian Repertory Theatre to the present. Amazing. Short and sweet, short and sweet, but nice. Yeah. Mm. How we? How nice that kind of because she went into kind of acting in films and things like that, but then mm-hmm. just kind of went back to theatre and was like, no, this is my place. I like it. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I like that. Aww. Yeah. Because I know we do like recommending things. Yeah. Because I know you just said in the break. That you want yeah. to recommend one, but I just thought of one whilst doing oh, this. Go on then. Because we did, well, you just sat in on my lectures for the course I did at uni. I know exactly um, what you're going to recommend, mm-hmm. yeah. And, it's, and I even thought about it when you were mentioning about the whole uh, Chinese ancestry and... Yeah, I always get the name of it wrong. Is it The Women Warrior or The Warrior Women? It's The Women, the Women Warrior. Warrior. Yeah, by Maxine yeah. Hong Kingston, yeah. who is also an American, Chinese-American. And she kind of uses, like, traditional Chinese tales to, and then inserts herself in them to kind of share her story and the old stories of it and her place in, like, America and Chinese identity and stuff. It's very good. I highly recommend it. It definitely. I even I was even speaking about that to a friend of mine I met yesterday. Really? Um, yeah, we were talking about... God, what were we talking about? It was, like, about... I think we were even talking about, like, Mulan or something like that and how I'm mm. quite excited that in the new Mulan they're getting everything... They're kind of gone back, corrected the mm-hmm. mistakes they were making and then yeah. I'm remaking it kind of thing. And I'd said to my friend, I was like, oh, yeah, because uh, I read uh, 
th- this book uh, for American literature and it was uh, this mm-hmm. and I, I said to her I was like please read it and she was like oh, yeah I will <laughs> I'm like, good. <laughs> I saw something on Tumblr though where because there's all this stuff going on in Hong Kong and yes. as a response to that people were saying to boycott the Mulan film uh, and I'm just like that's exactly the opposite thing and has nothing to do with it what are you doing yeah that's just that just sounds like people wanting to boycott it and now having a reason yeah it's just yeah. I feel like misinformation upon misinformation mm-hmm. to fuel hatred mm. but yeah go see it when it comes out <laughs> yes I'm so excited <laughs> And and yes, definitely read uh, the the Woman Warrior. Yeah, and you had a recommendation. I did. To... Mine's completely different though. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, but it follows on from literature. So the other day I went to go see uh, Vita and Virginia in the cinema, uh, which yeah. is a film about uh, Vita Saxby West and Virginia Woolf and the relationship they had with one another and their writings and kind of mainly the the book Orlando and how that came to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is my recommendation because I thought it was beautifully made, beautifully written, um, and it was written and directed by Chanya Button, um, mm. who also, as I was then researching later, wrote uh, wrote and directed another film I really liked called Burma Burn. So, yes, go and watch Meet in Virginia when it comes out. <laughs> I know yeah. I really want to see it. I didn't. I didn't yeah. think it came out till like the end of the year. Well, because I've been because it was meant to come out. Because it was made last year, and I think it was out at a festival. I can't remember which one. Mm. Uh, last year, mm-hmm. but then it wasn't at any cinemas, and I don't know why. Because it's it's really really good. <laughs> so... I hate when films do that. Because I like, I was at the film Wildlife, because yeah. I knew he was direct. Paul Dana was directing it, mm-hmm. and like I've been following it for years, and it just there was a, a good year where it was just sat in like. It was made, but no one yeah. was releasing it. And I was like, what? No, why? Yeah, I don't understand why they do that. Because, like, in, I mean, my opinion and my very kind of socialist opinion, when things are made, they're made to be enjoyed. Yeah. And yet things are like, we're making it, but we're making it so that critics can enjoy it. And then that's it. And I'm like, no, make it so that, like, everyday people can enjoy it as well. Yeah. So, but you know what it is? It's because there's all old men at the top of, like... <laughs> deciding what's going to get released and when it's going to yeah. be released and they're all like no one's going to be interested in Vita and Virginia why would anyone care about that but then like no you have us yeah, and you have all of our lovely fans who will, I'm sure love it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like, yes please go and watch it and I will try and keep up I got very very lucky it was actually showing at a cinema near me where I have a voucher for so I got very very lucky well, <laughs> um, but I yeah don't, I don't even think they'll show it in my city at all it's like yeah. they don't show woody allen films so i just I mean, anything that's... else is just gone i get quite lucky there's quite a an indie cinema near me in the um, kind of hipster part of nottingham called the broadway that's, that's see i would open good. one here but i don't think i'd make any money I also like. I like how you just say that. That's the reason you would not that you don't actually have the money to just start up a cinema. <laughs> I mean, no, I don't. But you know, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a short episode, but you know, it has. I think because we we both kind of realised that our episodes are getting longer and longer and longer. Mm-hmm. So we were like, oh, 
we really need to keep it down and then we went to the total other extreme <laughs> so it's yeah yeah but short and sweet and happy mm-hmm. stories kind of on yes. both sides so yes mm. cool thank you for listening <laughs> thank you for listening and we shall be with you next week yes goodbye bye